Moving to Live is a podcast about movement and exercise. We bring you interviews with professionals in the movement and exercise field. The goal is to provide information for other professionals and also amateur movement aficionados, people who understand that movement is part of what makes life complete. Some of the people we interview you will have heard of. They're well known in and outside of the movement and exercise profession. Others you may not have heard of, but they have a great deal of knowledge to share. Many people doing the best work spend their time working with people, not working on their social media presence. We're going to give you a chance to learn from some of these talented and knowledgeable individuals, and we're going to learn along with you. Moving to Live podcasts are going to be short. Each interview will be long enough to impart usable information, but short enough to be able to be consumed in a single bout, during your workout, commute, or even during dinner prep. We all like long-form interviews, but time is valuable. Moving to Live wants to give you the option to learn and be entertained without needing to commit 60 minutes at a time for an interview. Give Moving to Live a listen. Check out our sister podcast, FitLab PGH, which highlights people, businesses, events, and activities in the Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania area that make movement a priority. Moving to Live would love to hear from you. Want to connect with us or have an idea for somebody you think we ought to interview? Drop us an email, mov2liv at gmail.com, or connect with us on Instagram and Twitter, both underscore mov2liv. We're excited to bring you these interviews, and we think you'll enjoy each and every one that we bring you. Welcome back to another edition of Moving to Live. We're back today with part two of our interview with Roger White. Two weeks ago, we talked to Roger, and he described his athletic background about how he started in the Detroit, Michigan area, playing a variety of sports, progressed through high school, was able to get his college education paid for uh, due to his football skills, and we finished up with him describing the slow process of realizing that football was over and that he needed to find something else to do, and the fact that it took a number of years to develop an additional identity other than just being an athlete. We're going to spend a little bit of time today finding out how Roger got to where he is today as a massage therapist. He's been a co-organizer of the World Endurance Summit, which is an online summit where they had a quite a few of the well-known and not so well-known, but very knowledgeable endurance coaches, something that I was not aware of until I had the opportunity to connect with Roger, and also how he's had the opportunity as a massage therapist to work with athletes at an elite level and how that didn't happen overnight. So Roger, I want to thank you for taking time to join Moving to Live for part two of our interview. Yeah, thanks for having me back. I'm excited to be here. One of the advantages that I have when I interview people is I get you to fill out a bio form and I'm able to look you up on Facebook and LinkedIn. And you described in our first interview that you were able to get your education paid for uh, through playing football. And from looking at it, you were able to get a bachelor's and a master's in exercise physiology. So if you can kind of describe, you finished up your uh, college career, you realized that things weren't going to work out to progress with your football career. Graduation happens, and what do you do? I know you described in the first interview for a while you were a speed coach, and you didn't really like that. So what happened when you graduated from high school? Or, excuse me, college. Yeah, well, no, I think actually high school would be a good place to start. I had a math teacher, uh, Mr. DeSantis, who's you know since passed away, who he was he was my uh, one of my personal coaches on football my, by position, and he was my math teacher. And he really inspired me uh, by far. He's probably the biggest inspiration I had. Um, to be a math teacher it was fun. 
I learned it was serious. Um, you know, as a coach, he, he wanted the best out of me kind of thing. And, you know, and so I, I left and said, okay. And I, I went to the school he went to and, um, you know, he's like, yeah, you can do it. And I, and I, so I went to school to be a computer science math major to teach, which is what he did. And, you know, I got through about two years of it and I got through most of the math and I ended up hitting a math class I couldn't pass. <laughs> um, and I was like, I don't even know if I'll ever pass this class. This is bad. And about that time, you know, I was playing college. My girlfriend at the time, now my wife, um, played college basketball. And so in the summer, we were workout partners. I would design her workouts. And, and, and I found out a teammate was studying exercise science. And, and eventually, that's what I – I didn't even know we had it or what it was. So this was just kind of like an interesting set of steps. And, in fact, that teammate now is J.L. Holdsworth, um, who is becoming pretty popular with the uh, reflexive performance reset the rpr uh jl was a powerlifter at Westside barbell for a while after college and stuff so it was it, you know it's an interesting uh, network that we became friends uh for one particular year he transferred in only for his fifth year to our to the school i went to and uh you know we've become friends uh since then so yes yeah, so that's how i found out about exercise science and got a degree and then i, I still wanted to teach and said you know i want to teach at college i i, I could dig this i could research and and do stuff that that kind of fit my personality and what i wanted and so that was my intention uh i had i was the first kid in my family to go to college really like my immediate family so this was all new to me my dad was in the navy and got a job and you know that whole get a jobs company take care, care takes care of you mentality and that's not really what was going on at the time and uh and so i was kind of just figuring it out on my own, which kind of sucks, which is one reason why I offer so much advice to young kids because I had none uh, and I figured it out uh, sometimes too late. But um, yeah, so I got a degree in that and then I realized literally after I got my degree, I didn't do the graduate test, whatever that thing is called. I never ended up taking it to begin with, but uh, yeah, I didn't take it. No one really told me. I didn't really want to leave either. So, cause I was like, well, where would I go? And I kind of knew if I was going to do a graduate uh, study somewhere else, I needed to see what research they were doing uh, so that it would fit with what I wanted to do. And, and I was like, well, I'm just going to kind of take it, take it easy right now. And so I, I just picked up some little jobs here and there. And, and so I figured it out. And long story, my advisor did not have a graduate teaching assistant uh, for the year after I graduated. And so I was hired as just a teaching assistant for the first semester and in the second semester, I enrolled as a full-time graduate teaching assistant. So that's that's the long story how I ended up getting my second degree. And I still wanted to pursue to be a PhD. Uh, at this point, I'm like, okay, now I'm on track. I can maybe go get a PhD. And I knew I had to look elsewhere. Um, at the same time, I started a, a, a speed clinic business out of my car. I had a friend who got a job coaching at one of the Catholic school teams and, uh, I was like, Hey, I, you know, and we were teammates in high school and I said, Hey, let's, let's do something. So I, it was literally me, two agility ladders, a couple hurdles and 42 kids. <laughs> and I had no, this was different than coaching myself and, and my wife at the time, my girlfriend. So I was like, man, I don't know. And it must've been good because someone passed my name on to someone else. And that snowballed into a whole, uh, uh big, long story of stuff. Um, and so, yeah, so I instead of doing some running clinics, I was pretty fast. I, you know, as a kid, I was joking with my friend. I told him at like 12, I had the speed dynamics video set. I still do. I, it's on my shelf right here. I don't even have a VHS anymore, but I still have the VHSs. 
uh, if, with Lauren Seagrave. I don't know if you're familiar with it. And I am. I, I, uh, I eventually met Lauren last year at the Prefontaine Classic and said, hey, I got to tell you this. I, you know, I bought these things like 25 years ago and I still have the VHS. And he just kind of laughed and, he, and they still sell really well. And it was it was it was huge. It was a big like it was pretty impactful for me as an athlete to learn how to run and do different drills and stuff like that. And um, and and so yeah, so it was pretty interesting. So yeah, so I have these forty kids, and then my name got passed on, and I started working with soccer players, which I knew nothing about soccer. So that particular summer, I watched every soccer game on ESPN, like the English Premier League, because I needed to know like the language and everything. So I, there's these like ten year old kids, and I'm talking about the pitch and the the end line and the touch line and. <laughs> And, and they're looking at me like, what are you talking about? And then I realized like they really didn't know the language either. <laughs> they just knew how to play. So it was, but it was, it was good because I actually learned, uh, you know, a little bit about the game because I wasn't a big fan at the time. And I've since become a pretty, like a pretty big soccer fan. Like I could watch a soccer match, uh, you know, anytime. So, um, that was pretty fun. And that was at 10. And, and this was where yeah, it became interesting. Eventually I ended up, uh, using some different spaces for training and did some free clinics and the newspaper helped promote that. And, uh, you know, through a series of business events, ended up getting a training facility where I would lease out a space and use it. And, you know, and, and it did okay. You know, I, uh, and so I finished, I graduated with my master's degree. Um, and the plan was to have a business, which I did. I now had my business going at the facility. I was teaching at community college during the day. Um, and the reason, let me backtrack, I didn't go after a PhD. One of the kids I was coaching at the time in my speed clinics um, the mom was a nutrition researcher and focused on cancer. And she was telling me that she had a hard time getting funding, um, for her cancer research. And that's a big part of your PhD is, you know, you have to get research money. And if you don't, then they're going to tell you to take a hike. And that, that's what I realized in my master's program. And I was like, well, if they're not re- giving her money for nutrition, cancer research, like, am I really going to get money? doing exercise stuff, you know, and this was, you know, 2008. So recession was kind of coming around really quick around the corner. And, and that, that was pretty much it. That's, that's what kind of me decided, uh, I'm not doing this, this route anymore. I'm going to do something else. And so then I was like, well, we'll do community college. Cause I could teach at a community college in the exercise science field and, and that, and I taught part-time and there's only three full-time positions in my area. So it's not like there's a big job, uh, market opportunity, you know, like in 20 years when they retire, maybe. <laughs> so that was, that was a, a big limiting factor for me. Um, and so I would teach part-time and then I would coach at the high schools and then I would go at my training center. So I had just got married. I was working like 10 to 10, you know, and it was good. I didn't mind, you know, me and my wife were, were making it work and then she got pregnant and <laughs> we said, we got to reevaluate this. This is, um, this is not okay. So, uh, I ended up, uh, one of the, at the schools I coached at, a guy told me about a teaching program that was one year to get a certificate only. And that's what I ended up doing. So, um, I, soon after I shut the facility down, um, and it's hard, like those that have facilities, it, it can be, a, 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 it's not easy to make money. The, the building expenses are very, very high. So it is, it is tricky to make money in these things. And there are people that do it, um, and they do pretty well. And, and that's fantastic. That was not my case. I just, I, th- I think that's a it. dirty little secret in the field that hasn't been well promoted is it's really hard to make money with a facility. Yeah, you know, and it's not always about the equipment and stuff like that. And, you know, before I opened it up, I, I went out to Mike Boyle's facility in Boston, and he's got several, but I went out to one. He It was his first ever winner's seminar that he did. I think it was like 2006, maybe. 
Um, and I went out for the seminar. I got a cheap flight and it was like a hundred buck round trip or something. And I had a place to crash by the airport and went out and I wanted to see his place. I wanted to watch. So I, I got in super early and I was there the whole time, you know, like three, four hours. So I could watch, uh, you know, how things were going there, what he did, how they had it set up just to get ideas for my own place. And, you know, cause he does pretty well. They have hundreds and hundreds of kids go through that place. And, uh, you know, they have a lot of staff and, you know, they do okay. So, you know, that was definitely a model I wanted to look at and, and kind of see how I could use some of that stuff. And, and I did what I could, like I said, it was just hard. I just was breaking even every year. It was barely bringing anything home. Um, and so, yeah, it was, it was kind of hard to say goodbye, but eventually I had to shut the center down and it is, it was probably better because at the time, you know, when I started, I was one of the only ones around. And then by the time I got done, every high school had their own speed camp. And so now kids are almost forced to go to the speed camp, right? Uh, which is kind of what we talked about in the last uh, interview, you know, where there's, if there's opportunity, you know, it, it may not necessarily be a good thing. And so here's someone who I'm very knowledgeable on it. And there's, you know, uh, and although I'm a teacher, you know, I, I got a different background than say your social studies teacher that just happens to coach football, right? And, and bought a, D, a DVD set. Um, and, and is going to go do a camp. Right. And so that, that, that became tricky, you know, where kids were getting forced to go to these camps because if they don't, then they don't make the team because tryouts and supposedly this is not going to influence their decision. But, you know, how do you really know that that isn't influencing their decision if they don't show up because the coach isn't so happy when the kid doesn't show up, you know what I mean? So if it's not influencing it, why are you so upset? (laughs) And so, um, you know, so it was a good time for me to get out. For sure. And, um, you know, someone came in and took it over and then the building had issues and he's since moved and he does okay. You know, he's got a retail space and he does all right, but it's, it's not easy. You know, I, uh, there's another facility in town that opened up soon after mine and, um, they have a hard time finding someone to run it because the hours suck. You know, it's really a, like a three to 10 PM job during the year. And then the summer it's all day. And, uh, it's just, it's really tough. You just, there's just not a lot of money in, in it because of the expenses you know if you're in florida or something uh you know you can go outside to a park or something and it's good i have a friend in charlotte and he's outside like 10 months a year and so you know everything is profit at that point so it's it's different geographically up in the north it's it's really difficult so um yeah so that's kind of the the whole story with the facility and uh in in a quick overview so you get the teaching certificate, you become a math teacher, but that's not enough for you. You also become a massage therapist. And what I'm also interested in is the fact that you uh, took some classes for acupuncture. Yeah. Okay. So so this is where we go into this rabbit hole of things. I um, as When I had my facility, I, I worked a lot with soccer players and uh, these coaches would say, hey, let's do shooting today. And they would shoot like 300 balls on that. And so the, the kid would show up to the training facility with a pulled quad muscle or certainly is really spasmed. I mean, like he's not one or she is not 100%. And so I had a hard time, you know, we would do some foam rolling and it just wasn't fixing it. And I was like, all right, go to a physical therapy place and see if they can do something. And I was really disappointed. And it, just so many different places wouldn't address it, wouldn't even put their hands on the, on the kid. And I was like, well, is it because it's a kid, you know, that they don't want to like do any massage work or they just don't know how to do it? And so uh, one of my influences as a coach and as a therapist was Charlie Francis and Charlie um, was Ben Johnson's coach. And so that, that has a whole, um, you know, I, I don't know the word you're looking for, but you know, if you, you follow sports, you probably know the Ben Johnson story, but what, what people don't realize is Charlie was a super brilliant guy. 
um, and was big into therapy and would do it himself if he didn't have therapists. So he became quite good because he learned from the therapists he brought to use with his athletes or because he had to do it himself over all those years, you know? So I had called Charlie up and said, Hey, I want to learn massage. Can I come up and learn some stuff for you? So this is totally not the way to do it, by the way. Um, and he goes, yeah, sure. Come on up. And, uh, and at the time, actually Michigan did not have licensing for massage, which was, it just happened to work out that way. It's not like I called up and said, Hey, like, what do I do? Um, you know, to the state, I, I just said, all right. So I went up and I spent some time and he literally, this is how it went. Like he's on one leg, I'm on the other. And he's like, copy me. And I'm just copying them. And, and the athletes like harder, faster, deeper, like more fingers, more, more thumb. And so that's how I actually learned how to do massage. Uh, and then we'd switch legs and, you know, Charlie's big thing was muscle tone. That was his big, um, like concept in terms of therapy. You got you have to keep the muscle tone, uh, ideal. And that's the million dollar question is what is ideal muscle tone? Because no one knows. And it took me a long time before I actually got an answer from someone that understood that. So, um, and I actually felt it. So that was the thing is cause it's definitely, you can't describe it in words or even by looking at it, you have to just touch it and know, um, and it's, it's rare to have an athlete with ideal muscle tone. Let me just say that it, it takes a lot of work and, uh, it's yeah. So, so anyway, I came back and, um, I had my, I had about a half dozen athletes that were like college prep. They were, they were going to be college bound somewhere in, in football. I had a bunch of football kids. And so I had a day open and I said, all right, come on in. We set up 30 minute sessions. I just laid on the ab mat. They, they're on the floor and I'm just trying to do everything I learned with, you know, and, and they, so they got treatment and, uh, it was interesting to, to apply that, uh, as they did at this time, the combines were, were becoming popular to kind of prep them for their combine to make sure they felt good. Um, and so after a while I'm doing massage on the floor and I'm dying, my back killing me. <laughs> and like, so I find a cheap table on Craigslist and I'm like, all right, cool. And so I, that's how I got my first table because the floor was not working. And, um, yeah, so long story short, I, during this time, you know, kids would come in and I'm like, oh, are you feeling whatever? We, we would set up some, some therapy times and stuff and, and work through it. And, and so that's how I, I got started in, in therapy. And then I have always been intrigued by acupuncture. And um, so I had a chiropractor I see has an acupuncturist in there from, from China. She barely speaks English. Um, and he's like, Hey, you know, cause I, I would refer him, him a ton of people is like, I'll take care of a session, go get it done. So, all right, cool. So she told me all kinds of stuff by looking at my tongue and taking my pulse that I didn't realize you could do. And, and that was kind of the mystique I had about it, right? Like, this is awesome. It's, um, and so I was, I want to learn this. And so, um, you know, Charlie lived in Toronto and long story that has become almost like a second home of mine. Um, you know, that's largely where a lot of my therapy influences have come from which in a way is good because here it's, I'm different because I've learned different things. You know, if you are from the States, you probably have had, you know, X, Y, Z courses. Um, but coming from Canada, they actually do things quite differently. So, um, which has been, which has been good. Um, and that's why someone like say Neely would, would recommend me, you know, cause I do things a lot differently and she's seen a lot of different therapists, probably hundreds of different therapists. 
um, and she'll, she'll give you a high recommendation for me, you know? So, um, yeah, so uh, I found out that up in Toronto area, there's an acupuncture course, but you had to have a massage license. And so I called around and got my massage license. And the next year I signed up for the course. And it turned out that the guy that teaches the course worked with Charlie with a lot of athletes. Um, and the guy, uh, the, the course director is Alejandro Alaraga. And he did a lot of work with, uh, he was like a personal consultant for Olympic Games and just doing, uh, you know, his, his method of acupuncture. And then um, also up there who I learned from, who I actually, this is the reason why I went there, was a guy named Dr. Mike Prebeg. And uh, Mike had worked with Charlie. Mike worked with Marion Jones and Tim Montgomery when they were coached by Charlie for a little bit. Uh, Mike uh, now is like the consulting chiropractor for the Blue Jays and Maple Leafs. And uh, he's one of the course instructors up there. He's kind of, you know, like the number two up there. And, and so that was the reason I went there is I knew Mike. I knew what he did. I had seen it on some videos that Charlie shared. And, and that's what I wanted to learn. So that's how I ended up taking that course up there. So, um, yeah, and that, that's, uh, kind of the therapy progression. And, and as a result, you know, I shut down the facility, um, but I'm still doing some therapy stuff here and there. And then, uh, you know, some things happened and it just kind of spiraled from there. I think what's interesting, you mentioned it's different in the U S versus other countries, I was just exposed to acupuncture about six months ago when I interviewed uh, someone, Francie Desmond of Navigating Wellness for my other podcast, FitLab PGH, and I walked in suffering from a herniated disc that I was currently rehabbing and was barely able to bend over. And she said, I think I can help you. And I went back the next week, had one acupuncture session and was able to bend over and was able to go home and do my exercises without discomfort for three or four days. So mm -hmm. I would say prior to <laughs> hurting my back like that, if somebody said, why don't you try acupuncture? I probably would have been one of those people going, let somebody stick needles on me. No way. And now I am a huge aficionado and big fan. If you have somebody who is really good at what they do. Yeah, you know, and that's that's um, interesting because the method I learned is so different than what's taught here. Uh, so technically, in the states, it would be considered dry needling for what I do, um, and because uh, I I don't needle for fertility, I don't needle for earaches, things like that. It's musculoskeletal problems, and there is a whole acupuncture for that, right? Like if you want to try to have a baby, there's acupuncture to try to help that, and yes, and so on. So I. It, like I use classical points with the meridian system, but it's not like look at my tongue, take my pulse and tell me my kidney chi is, is deficient. That's not, that's not how I do it. So, um, you know, and then, you know, dry needlers here do it differently too, uh, which is a whole different issue. I, I think they need to ramp up their training. Um, but they, depending, there's two common courses that I've seen where they literally just take needles and like stab you for like 30 seconds and then take it out. Um, and they try to get a muscle twitch by doing that. And there is a therapeutic effect, but it's very uncomfortable. And I, my, my take is, you know, if you're going to cause discomfort on someone, I mean, I had someone come by who had it done like this to him and he was like definitely afraid to have it done again. Like he would rather suffer through pain of his body than have what happened to him with the previous therapist. I, and, and I have to ask, have you been uh, following me around and recording my conversations? Because what you're describing and as not liking is a similar conversation to what I've had with my acupuncturist and also a chiropractor that I'm seeing. No, no. I mean, this is, this is the thing. And, you know, I mean, I, I've had several hundred hours of training and, and the therapist will go for 27 hours and come home and needle someone in the neck. 
And, you know, look, you're sticking a needle in someone. You, you better know your anatomy really well. And one thing in the course I took, we had cadaver labs every week. And so it was amazing how many health professionals didn't matter because this, the course was everything from massage therapists up to, uh, MD medical doctors. People did not know their anatomy, like didn't know it. Like, you know, maybe they knew the muscle, but if you talk about nerve innervation, attachments and all that type of thing, it was game over. No one knew their stuff and it was very clear. And so since that course, I'd still continue to study anatomy. Um, and a big part of the treatment I, I, use is like neuro based we call it neurofunctional um and so knowing where the nerves are what they do where they're located palpating them um and so a lot of times i'll actually just literally massage the nerve it doesn't look like it because you know but that's actually like I'll, I'll rub the foot and there's not a muscle i'm just you know if i'm palpating or actually treating the nerve because there's some type of dysfunction there um and that's where it's different and it's gentle it doesn't hurt you see some differences and and so that's, that's where my approach is, is quite different. Um, you know, I still use Charlie's muscle tone theory. I still use a lot of his techniques, um, and, and so on. So I've just refined it a bit, you know, with some of the education I've had and, you know, and those guys are, it was, it was life changing. Like I, I just knew I wanted to take the course and I found out they worked, they knew Charlie, they worked with him. The guy was an athlete, uh, you know, he's worked with Olympians, he's worked with high level athletes. And so I was like, I was supposed to be here. You know, and I remember the first day he goes, whether you use this or not, you, you know, and I had heard my mom had always said this too, like, you can't take away education. Like when you learn something, no one can take that away. So that was the, the, the exact like five minutes in the course. That's what he said. And I said, okay, so whether I, I use this or not, I'm going to learn something and realized really quick that I was almost in over my head. I didn't realize, I didn't know as much as I thought I knew. And so it was very humbling. Uh, it still is. Even every time I hear him talk, I don't know half of what he's saying. So I got to continually learn to, to do it. There's still more out there. And so I'm a learnaholic, man. I have a bookshelf that's quite large that uh, people always like, you know, holy cow. And it's, it's only part of it. You know, I, I still have a ways to go. So I'm constantly learning. Even last night, I was up trying to take a technique and, and reference it to something else to try to modify it. Uh, for some of the clients I have that I'm not getting results for. And so, you know, if an athlete comes to me and they have a problem and I can't fix it very quickly, uh, I need to find a better way to fix it quickly. So, you know, I don't have 12 sessions to get something done. I might have like two hours, you know, um, and I get that a lot. Hey, I'm racing in New York on Saturday. Uh, can you fix me today? Cause I fly tomorrow. <laughs> so, you know, you, it's a different approach, right? And so this is where I've, I've, kind of gotten a reputation with some of the competitive runners and stuff where if you want something fixed you know to see an improvement very quickly you come see me and i'll i'll flat tell you and i told you know neely i i i you know she had she had come in and had a knee injury and i said this is beyond me you need to get like some imaging and it turned out i i said i go I think something's fractured and it took her a long time to, to finally get an answer but she had split her patella in half so um, and, and I knew that from one session. So I know my limitations when it doesn't work. I know there's something else. Like, you know, I so. think uh, one of the, two of the things that you've described that are really key is first of all, always be willing to learn. I know yesterday I was seeing my chiropractor who's also an athletic, uh, trainer and he was working on my hip, which was stiff. And his comment was, I think this is involved with your iliocapsularis muscle. And my response was what? 
turns out that there's a new muscle in the hip. So I've been spending, just like you spent last night learning a new technique, I spent last night reading up on the iliocapsularis. I think the other thing that you hit on that is just critical for anybody who is useful professionally is the fact that know your limitations. And I think it's interesting that you described to Neely, when we talk about Neely, we're talking about Neely Gracie, who's a, a runner and an earlier interviewer or earlier person we interviewed on Moving to Live, is that I once had a bicycle crash and the person who told me he thought I had a fractured rib was my massage therapist. So I don't think anybody ever looks down at you professionally if you say, geez, this is way beyond my scope of understanding. You need to go see somebody else. No, you know, this is interesting because this has been uh, – and so I tell kids to go be doctors or at least a physician assistant because you're up the ladder high enough where you can do a lot of stuff. And I'm at the very bottom of the ladder in, in a way. And I say this in a derogatory way because people look down upon it. And I know as a, a general group, massage therapists probably aren't the most highly educated group of medical prof pro uh, pro uh, professionals, right? You know, you, you go up the ladder, you have more education. It doesn't mean though that someone doesn't know what they're doing beyond that. Does that make sense? It um, does. You described the Charlie Francis, uh, his terminology was, I think you said muscle tone. Is that correct? Correct. Correct. And it's, I think from what I've seen, having been around a while and had a fair amount of body work done, there are some body workers, whether they're rolfers or massage therapists who are gifted in their touch and in their feel, they have a, mm -hmm. their, their hands are like another tool. They can say something They say, Oh, I feel this and you feel it. And for somebody like me who doesn't have that skill, it's like, I don't know what you're talking about. But when you learn that, oh, they're right, as in my instance with the, with the uh, massage therapist who said, I think you fractured a rib, you realize and you learn it's like people like that, and it sounds like you're similar, are a gifted body worker because your hands are an additional sense. Yeah, you know, this is this is interesting because this is something um, I, I reflect on when I do when I meditate and think and journal. Uh, my, my wife jokes, you know, we've been together almost 20 years. And, you know, when we first, you know, you do the whole like couple let's rub each other's shoulders kind of thing. And I hated it. I would rub like two minutes and be like, Oh, I'm tired. I'm done. And then to go from that to now what I do is we laugh all the time about it. Um, but think about it. If you, if, you know, I played receiver in college, I had some ability with my hands and, and I think that transferred over to my ability to do body work where I'm, you know, you might have more more nerves, more sensory uh, information input from your fingers, um, and and I think that's part of it, right? Is that I had some prior background with some other things that I, I can't say for sure. There's no science. This is just my my uh, my theory here is that that's a, a big part of it, you know. And I think maybe there's some natural gifts too that um, that I've learned to develop because certainly when I started out, I didn't know what what anything was. <laughs> Um, and, and again, like the course I took, uh, with Alejandro and Dr. Prebeg, it's very gentle. Like you have to really f like think and see through your fingers. And so that changed how I would approach treatments as well, where I'm literally seeing through my fingertips and, and understanding the anatomy as well, which is why I have to study it so much, um, to know what the heck I'm touching and, and to be able to see it and feel it. And then all of a sudden I can get to exactly where I need to, even if it's two or three levels of tissue deep, you know, I can eventually find it. So, um, yeah, so that's, uh, it's, it's an interesting uh, theory that I've kind of created, I guess. We're talking to Roger White. He was recommended to us by 
Neely Gracie. Roger is a math teacher, but what I'm more interested in is I think calling yourself a massage therapist is kind of shortchanging it from what you're describing. You are a massage therapist, but you're, and I say this with respect, uh, what sounds like an atypical massage therapist. And you were describing a little bit uh, when we were conversing before recording that you're not the sort of person that somebody comes in to see for massage once or twice a week on a regular basis. You're somebody who maybe gets an athlete or a competitive individual, uh, you know, maybe once or twice before a competition because they've got a nagging injury or problem that doesn't seem to respond to anything else. And I think you've described from your background and having the speed camp and the speed school, why probably initially when you started the massage, you dealt with athletes, uh, what was it that, or how did it develop that you've kind of developed your own niche where, okay, I see the people or the athletes with problems that if I can't help them, I can possibly refer them to somebody else, but I do something differently. So what was it that made you say, hey, this is the group of people that I want to work with? Yeah. Um, so I, I, you know, there's kind of black, white, and gray in terms of scope of practice, and I'm very gray. I just put it that way. Uh, you know, I, I will not adjust someone cause that's definitely outside it, but I will, I will explore other areas, you know, like what part of physical therapy can I access? What part of, you know, this can I, can I do even my chiropractor? I'll look and say, okay, how did you do that? What did you do? Um, you know, what assessment did you use? And, and so I'll look outside that. And, and I think that's what makes me a little bit unique. Um, when, it, you know, when it comes to the athletes I work with, uh, you know, I, so when I coached high school, I had a bunch of kids and I knew from my coaching background, my biomechanics, my therapy background, that these kids were jacked up for lack of a better word. And I'm like, oh man, I wonder what would happen if I start to, to treat them. And so I was kind of hesitantly, I brought my table to one meet and I was like, all right, hop up here and I'd kind of work on them and kind of loosen up. So by the way, when I speak of muscle tone, I, some people will say different things, but you know, the, the tension in the muscle and you'll feel it. Like if you put your hands on someone, it's very dense, like tense, or you put your hands on someone and it feels like a loaf of bread, right? I guess, or even butter. It's very soft. Um, sometimes it feels leathery, right? And so those are areas that have high tension where like the butter bread type feeling is more like low tension and, and there's an optimal tension for every activity. So, you know, I, these kids would get on the table and I mean, like, it would be like rubbing a wood floor on their quadriceps. They're so stiff and tight, man. And so I did this for, for a while, um, you know, on weekend meets, I'd bring my table and I'd only have maybe 10 athletes, something like that, 12 athletes. And so if they needed work, I, I had time to do it because we weren't competing every second. And so I got really good at treating athletes in competition, uh, because of this. And I, and I also had a lot of opportunity in different situations to look at and, 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 and so on. And it was interesting because I could tell, you know, if I went and did something with someone, was it too much or not based on how they ran? And then you could see the, the, the seasonal progressions over them. And one, one year a coach is like, man, what are your kids on? Like they're, they're questioning that the kids I coached were like taking something. And I looked at her and I said, the kids are on a massage table and they don't feel good. <laughs> so I, I kind of walked away at that, you know, and people look at me like, what? And, you know, now with the USA gymnastics thing and all that stuff, like you definitely have to be careful. So let me just, as I said, I, I would never do anything that would be inappropriate. It was very open. Uh, you know, a lot of times, you know, if parents were there, I say, Hey, this is what we're going to do. Are you okay with it? If not, I wouldn't do it, you know? Um, 
and and so on. But most people were appreciative that you were there to help, and and the kids felt better after. If the kids didn't feel better, it'd be different, right? And so I think that was that was that was part of it. Um, and there were times where I would I would keep a kid out from a Saturday meet, for example, during track season, and just do two or three treatments in that six to nine hour period, and get the kid fixed. That then he's got the whole season and, and be phenomenal. And it was really interesting to see that work because I would be able to do multi sessions a day. And and these were things, you know, I wasn't getting paid. So what's the difference? You're you're in an ideal situation. You can do whatever you want, essentially, within reason when I say that. But you know what I mean? Like you you don't have money restrictions or time restrictions or anything like that. So what what ends up happening? <clears throat> and so yeah, I, I was able to see how these things would, would go. And so um I would see some some athletes, and then yeah, then uh, I got a call. Pretty much the elite athlete thing started with Neely. Um, she had found me through the chiropractor that I, I would go see her, and and she was banged up with some stuff, and so we were working through some injury uh, type things, and um, and then we got into some maintenance mode, and then her kneecap went, and then you know she ended up at that point at, a little bit later moving to Colorado and so on, but. So, but from that, uh, you know, we were, I was able to get her when she was banged up fixed pretty, pretty quickly. And so that helped. So she spread some word to teammates and people around and then it just becomes word of mouth. I don't have a business card. I don't, I'm not big, like promoting myself. Like people just call me randomly. I have a, a good friend who's a bodybuilder, a master's bodybuilder. And those guys are just completely jacked up. They, you know, they just pound themselves in the gym and, you know, almost all of them have torn a pec or a bicep at some point. Right. And so, you know, I remember the first time, uh, my friend's pretty big, he's about five, seven, about two fifty, and he's about five, 10% body fat. So I mean, he's, he's a pretty big stocky guy and he has some uh, other guy comes in and the guy's just as big and I'm like, Oh man, I'm a tiny guy still. And so I'm like, my wife's looking at like, Oh my gosh, where are these monsters coming over? They're like humongous. These guys. And so, you know, and I had some friends who told me they worked on bodybuilders and they just wouldn't do it. And, and what I found out was they would literally try to do their entire body in an hour. And I go, you can't do that. Like, that's, that's crazy. So I tell them, I go, you come over, we're doing one muscle group left and right for an hour. That's it. Cause there's no way I'm going to be able to do like, you know, three passes through your delt and fix your problem that you created over like 10,000 repetitions of, you know, doing lateral raises. Like, you know, you know what I mean? It's, I think thinking like that is uh, people don't, I don't know, like, and it, maybe you feel good in the short term, but then they're back like two days later and eh, I felt good for a little bit, but now I'm back. So I'd rather just take the time and work through it. And then I don't have to do it again. Um, and that's the approach I've taken. So yeah. So like, uh, you know, if they come over, like literally it's 30, 40 minutes on each pack just to loosen the thing up, to get it to move, um, and w- with the bodybuilders. And so that's, th- that's been the, the bulk of the people that I see is they, they come over uh, there. I'll have a few people for maintenance, uh, I have a, a new new client that is more of a maintenance situation where, you know, depending on the travel schedule, a couple days a week uh, for most of the season. So, um, and that that's kind of fun because once, once they're good, it's easy to do. Like, it's just so fast because you can maintain it and then address. Once, once everything gets worked out, uh, the maintenance work is so easy because uh, you just exactly know where to go because it's the only area that's not right. You know what I mean? So it's, it's really easy to get to and treat and, and so on. Um, yeah. And then a, a couple times a year, like I said, I'll, I'll be at the pre-classic here, um, in Memorial weekend, 2018. Um, and that's, that's different, you know, that's pre-race stuff. Uh, it's kind of fun. It's more like the, the track coaching situation I described a few minutes ago. Um, some of the athletes need a lot of work, but you can't really go crazy because they compete the next day. 
Um, and so you have to make a judgment call on, on how much work you do with them, um, and, and that type of thing. But, you know, I had a, to give an example on how you have to think differently. I, there was a runner I was working with at the 2016 trials and she, uh, was a hurdler and, and was getting ready to warm up and go to her, the call room for the semifinal. And she comes over and goes, my, my calf just cramped up and I got five minutes before I have to go to the call room. And I can't go to the call room with her. So what do you do as a therapist? You have five minutes and you had a calf cramp. So you don't have 12 sessions. You, you literally have like 300 seconds <laughs> and, and that's it. And if she misses her call, she doesn't run. So you got to know how to get something fixed really quick. And she, she got fixed. She may end up making the Olympic team a medal. So like she, she owes me a huge thank you. At least I, I feel she does. Um, but yes, that's a, that's a story where, um, you know, you, you just have to know how to do things based on the scenario that's thrown at you. We've been talking with Roger White. Roger is a math teacher, but what we spent most of the time talking to him about is how he went from a college football player to a speed coach to having a speed facility to now being a body worker. I want to finish up, Roger, by asking you about uh, your World Endurance Summit because it's not enough to teach at high school. It's not enough to work as a massage therapist, but now you're also developing an online conference, which... I just became aware of. It's actually already happened, the first one. Kind of describe how this came about and what it is. First of all, what is the World Endurance Summit? Yeah, so online summits are kind of the, the, the new up-and-coming uh, marketing tool for different specific like uh, niches, niches, wherever you're from in the world. Um, and so uh, my partner, Tyrone Edge, up in Toronto, had done one with the World Speed Summit. And, uh, and that one's more focused on sprinting and team sports and speed and agility and had done pretty well. And so it's, it's a, it's a free event that runs over a course of, a, depends on the size. Uh, there was just one last week that I signed up for. I actually didn't catch, uh, it was on plant-based medicines and they do different things and how to do different herbs and whatever. I don't, I didn't catch it, but that was one. And that one took an entire week. And so some of them are you know, two weeks long. It just, just depends. And we present the material for free for 24 hours um, to, to have it accessible. And then we, we feel the value is so good that you'll actually want to, to purchase it. And there's some income based on it. So that's our motivation for it. But it's not just that. It's, you know, uh, for this particular one, I, I did the best to put together uh, you know, a phenomenal list of coaches and to be able to bring that, those coaches into a live in-person clinic would financially be really uh, probably impossible, um, for, at least for me, for sure. And even for bigger organizations, I don't know that between travel and their personal speaking fees and everything else, um, that you would be able to do that. So that was our, our motivation is we can access this literally, you know, just from Skype or you know, your online connections. Um, there's been a couple where we've done in-person interviews as well, if we happen to catch them somewhere. Um, but yeah, and then present it to you, to, to the, uh, you know, the viewers online. And so that's what we did. And so with endurance, it's such a big area of exercise you know yeah everything I, you know okay we start say the half mile up to the ultra you know where you're running half a day or more right so uh, with some of these 24 mile races or 100 mile races where um you know and so i wanted the the first one we wanted to present a wide range of things so we've got coaches of different event 
areas. And I brought in some medical uh, people to talk about different things and, and just get a, a wide range. Uh, you know, I tried to look at the problems that I saw um, and try to sit in the position of, say, a weekend runner as well and, and figure out what problems they might be facing and, and how these speakers could probably help them with some of their suggestions and solutions. So um, it's, you know, it's very focused, uh, definitely practical tips were taken away. Um, you know, it was, it was, it was fun. It was definitely interesting and fun and, and had a blast. It was a lot of time, but, uh, yeah. And so we're, we're probably have another one coming out soon. And uh, just, this is something when it appeared, it was free for people who signed up for, is that correct? Yeah. So we had, uh, we, we did a, about a month before we started promoting it and advertising for it. And, you know, some of the speakers would promote it. Some wouldn't, um, cause we give them that opportunity as well. Um, and yeah, so we'd, we'd promote it and then we had a set date where it ran and I, it was sometime in the fall, I believe. And, uh, we just, we just ran it for those four days and, and then it shuts down. And so you can still purchase it if you want. Um, but it's not available for free at this point. Um, the, if we do the endurance summit too, that will be out probably in the fall as well. I'm guessing maybe the winter, um, and, and there'll be some dates out. And if you sign up for the million list, we'll, we'll send that out as soon as we get the dates and information out. But I'm pretty sure we'll do a second one. Um, just trying to figure out how I want to address it. Um, you know, since I, I'm the host part of it, Tyrone runs the, the business side of things and, and the back end, the technical, the web and all that stuff. So, uh, we just got to figure out what we want to do. And yeah, so it's pretty fun. I think you're going to see more summits. There's, I saw a powerlifting one, a guy in, I think Denmark, I, I don't recall his name. I, you know, uh, I saw that come up. Um, you, you, you'll start to see it more and more. It's just so economically um, better to bring in speakers to provide a clinic-like uh, presentation in a way. But it's not really pr presentation. It's 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 an interview. Because some one of the critiques we had was someone said, "Oh, why don't you just have them talk?" And and the, and the truth is, who wants to sit and listen to a lecture? I, I don't know. Like, and I've, I've done it. We've all done it probably if you are in the, the health medical movement field. Like you've, you probably have gone to a clinic and sat through a lecture and have been like, okay, like, you know, people want practical. They want this. They, they want more than just to be talked to. And so we would do an interview format, which, which is awesome because it allowed me to do follow-up questions that I had not planned on depending on how people answered. So that was, that was the best part. You know, if there was an answer I didn't expect, uh, we could dive deep into it and, and go where if you're in a clinic and they just talk, they literally talk about your notes. You get four people that ask questions and two of them are probably annoying, uh, that you could have got by reading the person's book or something, you know what I mean? And so that, that's where it kind of sucks. And then you get the 10 people right after that run up to the speaker and surround them. Uh, you know, and so that's the, the typical clinic thing. And so this was a fun, fun time for, for at least me, uh, to interact and interview these, these coaches and, and medical staff. We'll make sure in the show notes for the uh, second episode that we have a link to where people can go to purchase it. I know one of the things you commented on the symposiums uh, that were better potentially than a conference is that by having the interview, you were able to get information potentially from each speaker that you might not get if they're presenting at a conference where I know some of these speakers probably give 25 or 30 talks a year. And when they're asked to speak, they're like, well, do you want talk one or do you want talk two? And this way with the interview, you may get information from them that you might not otherwise get. 
Yeah, so one of the the speakers I interviewed is Robin Pester, and Robin has a background in biomechanics. She's a PT, former athletic trainer, uh, works with a lot of high-level athletes. You know, there's a lot of track and field events in Eugene, so Robin's there, and that's how I got to know her. And I said, Robin, let's do a talk on running biomechanics. I think this is something important, you know, and she's like, oh, okay. And she, she came back and said, you know what, let's talk about breathing. And I didn't think about it, and and. I was like, okay. And I wasn't super excited about it. And it was probably one of the most well-received talks out of the entire summit, right? And and just to to get that bounce back um, from her. And she had never done the breathing talk before. She had some things she wanted to talk about. And so because I actually didn't think about it, I had a ton of questions. And we had so many uh, weekend runners come and say, oh my gosh, that was phenomenal. I cannot believe we've never worked on breathing before. It's so silly. Being an endurance athlete, you have to breathe. Why haven't we worked on it? And, you know, Robin's talk was phenomenal, you know, and I think she sells a course on it too or something. Uh, and it's just it's so simple. So it's something like that too where uh, you can brainstorm some ideas um, and, and get some phenomenal information out to people that maybe you wouldn't have thought of. We've had the good fortune to talk with Roger White. We'll make sure we have extensive show notes. Roger is a massage therapist and I think that if you've listened to both parts of the interview, his story is unique in a good way. And I think he gives some excellent information for anybody who moves. Roger, I want to thank you for taking the time to talk to Moving to Live. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. It's, it's been a blast. Thanks for listening to the latest episode of Moving to Live. Make sure you check out the show notes for contact information for our latest guest, as well as links about all the things we talked about. Intro and exit music is Traveling Light by Jason Shaw. You can subscribe to Moving to Live on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play, and be notified about new episode releases. Have any questions, comments, or suggestions? Drop us an email, mov2liv at gmail.com. Connect with us on Twitter or Instagram, both underscore MOV number two LIV. Please tell your friends about Moving to Live. It's a go-to place for information for movement and exercise professionals and amateur aficionados who understand that movement is part of what makes your life complete. Until next week, keep on moving.